0: This time I'm going to ask you to uh, join me in the uh, scripture reading. Now I'm going to uh, read a few verses before the part that I'm speaking from this morning, just so we get a sense of the context. But uh, let's stand all together, and uh, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 37, and then I'll give you the signal when I come down to verse 43, say those uh, words uh, with me. And uh, so listen as I read, um, this is part of the sermon on, we, we call it Sermon on the Plain in Luke, very similar to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew in many ways. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use it will be measured to you he also told them the parable can the blind lead the blind will they not both fall into a pit a student is not above the teacher but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye how can you say to your brother brother let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye you hypocrite first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye join me in verse 43 No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn brushes or grapes from... A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Thank you. Please be seated. C.S. Lewis has a well-known statement that the purpose of Christ coming to this world was to produce little Christs his way of describing the reality that Christians are to become Christ-like. Dallas Willard was a Christian leader, passed away about five years ago, but he was very concerned about Christ being formed in Christians. And uh, addressing the disturbing question, why don't Christians look more like Christ? And then he said this, pastors need to redefine success. The popular model of success involves the ABCs. The ABCs. A, attendance. Okay? And B, buildings. And C, cash. And then he says, instead of counting Christians, we need to weigh them. Instead of... Counting how many, we need to consider, do they have substance? We need to weigh them. He says, we weigh them by focusing on the most important kind of growth. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness, and so on. Fruit keeping with the gospel and the kingdom. And you know, ultimately... It comes down to the heart. What has happened to the heart? And in the passage we're looking at today, Jesus is talking about the heart. After these many instructions related to what we say, you know, the Sermon on the Plain, where he talks about some pretty radical characteristics of the Christians. I mean, they're the kind of people who love the, money, love the enemy. They're the kind of people who go the second mile for people, the kind of people who forgive because they know that they're sinners themselves, so on. Then he, then he gets into the heart, the inner character. And he gives this parable, this one about tree producing fruit after their kind. A good trues, uh, trees producing good fruit, bad trees producing bad fruit. Briars, he says, do not produce grapes, nor thorn brushes do not produce figs. And then in verse 45, he interprets the parable saying that a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And uh, you know, there's a lot of emphasis. still having trouble with this sorry. How is that now? I think the, OK. Uh, I need help, and thanks I'm thankful for it. There's a lot in scriptures about the heart, an awful lot, an emphasis. Uh, for example, first Samuel uh, 16. Uh, we have the account where the prophet Samuel is called by the Lord to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be king. And when Samuel sees the oldest, he is very impressed. We're not told exactly why, but I suppose he was handsome. Maybe he had uh, large, maybe he was tall, I don't know. And, uh, but he was sure this is the one. And then the Lord says, not so. Do not consider his appearance, that's in verse 7, or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. We take special notice of height, dimensions maybe, Hair, eyes, skin, and uh, clothing. You know, if, we, uh, if someone is uh, shabbily dressed, we notice it. God doesn't seem to pay attention to that. Interesting, too, uh, uh, many years ago, uh, we had the privilege at the Banff Pastors Conference. That was an annual event for those of us who were either with the North American Baptist or the Canadian Baptist of Western Canada. And one year, uh, Gordon MacDonald was one of the speakers. And uh, MacDonald is probably about six foot three, at least I'd say. But he just commented that uh, there was a businessman that said to him, "MacDonald, if you were a couple of inches taller, you would go far in the banking world." Uh, you know, it's probably a reality. I don't know that but it's probably a reality that people who are tall are seen as more persuasive maybe and more effective in persuading people, okay? In leading, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Well, what is the heart? People will often distinguish between the head and the heart or distinguish whether what we are saying or doing is really from the heart or not. So what is it? What is the heart? Basically the heart is the center of our inner life. The heart is a center of our desires, our motives, our moral choices, our thinking, and it's even the center of our will. The center of our being from which our life flows. It is what gives orientation to everything we do. In summary, we can say the heart is the spring of our motives, the seat of the passions, the center of the thought process, and it is the center of our will. In Second Corinthians 9:7, there's a text that shows that we make decisions. If we make a decision that it's from the heart, uh, he says about giving, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Think of it. What you have decided. That's a choice. The will. Each should give what you've decided in your heart. So what I am in my heart is who I am. And it certainly fits with these verses that we're going to look at. And as we sort of unpack the meaning of heart here and the practical way to deal with it, I'm going to say that the heart is sort of like a factory, okay? The heart is a production center. Like an assembly plant. I'm sorry to hear about the GM plant closing in Oshawa. When I was a little boy, we picked up a brand-new Pontiac at that place and drove it home to Grand Prairie, Alberta. Heart is sort of like a factory because it talks about the heart produces. Secondly, it's sort of like a oh, a bank or a vault. It's a treasury, it says. I don't want to talk about both of those things. And then, thirdly, I want to talk about how we can you know, look out for, take care of the heart. But first of all, the factory part, the heart produces. Verse 45, a good man brings good things out. And uh, here that idea is a little clearer in some other translations where it says the heart produces, okay, ESV, produces. Produces words, attitudes, actions. And uh, there's something here in this text that makes it like it's inevitable. It's almost like it's an absolute. You know the parable? uh, If you got an apple tree, guess what the tree's going to produce? It's going to produce apples. It's just bound to happen. Uh, And sooner or later, what is in the heart is going to come out in one way or another. And so an evil heart will spew out evil. A good heart will spill over goodness. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is challenged by some Pharisees and teachers because his disciples didn't wash their hands before eating. Uh, Don't tell your boys, your young boys, that unless you explain it. Because I'm sure they're looking for an excuse not to wash their hands before they eat. But uh, the idea there was that uh, there was a ritual, and it wasn't about uh, hygiene. It wasn't about washing away germs. It had to do with religious defilement. And so Jesus responds by saying, it isn't what goes into the mouth that defiles. You need anything. That's not where defilement comes from. It's what comes out of the body, through the mouth and other ways that defiles. And then he says, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony and slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. The heart is the source of evil. And of course, the heart is the source of that which is good. And so he says the good person out of what's stored in the heart produces, manufactures that which is good. Then, of course, what follows then is that you can, you can tell something about the person by looking at what comes out, testing the fruit. If apples come out, then you know you got an apple tree. Fruit of a tree is external, Something everyone can look at. Bad fruit reveals a bad tree. Good fruit a good tree. And so it is with what you see. When it comes to serious issues, what comes out in behavior is a reflection of the heart. Matthew 12, 36, 37, Jesus says, I tell you on the day of judgment, you will have to give an account for every careless word that you utter. And then he goes on, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now is he saying there, especially and only that, be careful what you say because you're going to be judged for it, because words do good and harm. I think that's part of it. But I think the second part of the verse points to something else. The judgment can judge on the basis of your words, because your words reveal what's really been going on in your heart. Words reveal your character. Words reveal what's important to us. A good friend of mine, Clark, one time thanked me for not telling him about our grandchildren. <laughs> he, didn't, he wasn't a grandpa yet. But I guess he had been bored other times when grandparents are so anxious to tell him all about they're wonderful grandchildren, I think he probably looks at it differently now. he's a grandpa, but that's innocuous, okay. I like to talk about the Oilers, and uh, my goodness, we're doing well the last two games we're not going to assume anything, but isn't it wonderful i think we're uh, I think right now we have a last six games or so. I think it's about us. 700, 750 batting average, wonderful. When you're constantly talking about something, it shows what you're interested in. I'm sure sure that's not true about innocuous things like, you know, everyday stuff that's important to us. But you know what? If someone is always talking about the money they're spending or how much they're earning, I begin to suspect there is a materialistic heart. Now, Here's the question, can we fake it? And there are some things we can fake. And of course there are many norms that we learn that reveal nothing about the heart. Common courtesy, social graces. And these bring a sense of pleasantness into the mix. And they even make us look good. And religious ritual might be easy to practice regardless of the heart condition, right? And by religious ritual here, I'm not thinking primarily of liturgical kind of churches because every church has ritual. Pentecostals, who perhaps are the most free-flowing, maybe they're not anymore, but I grew up in that kind of atmosphere, there's still a ritual there because it's, it's the pattern that we all do. And so, you know, we can, we can fit into all of that. And and fake it, what's in the heart. Doesn't matter. We, We can do it anyway. However, think of the larger context here about what Jesus has been teaching. These are things that are not so easy to fake loving the enemy, being merciful, not judging or condemning, being more concerned about the beam in your own eye, being a gracious kind of person. Someone knows grace in his own life and therefore treats other people graciously too. See, these things are a little harder to fake. And the real measure of the heart is a response to those who are difficult to love. That's a metric of what is really in the heart. The truly good heart can love the unlovely, extend mercy and forgiveness, always aware that we have sawdust in our own eye. And not only that, but love will be an active kind of a love. Not just feeling, not just words, but as James says, action. The heart produces actions, reactions. But secondly, The heart is like a treasury. He says, uh, you know, stored up. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up. Stored up in his heart. Same thing with the evil heart. And uh, ESV has the good person out of the good treasure of his heart. I think it's significant and it helps us to understand this point if we uh, note that the same word was used in the Christmas story about the wise men. You know the story. They arrive at the house of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. It says, when they saw the child with his mother, they bowed down and worshipped. And then it says, opening their treasure chests. Same word, treasure chests. They offered him gifts of gold. Frankincense and more. That was from the new RSV translation. Others just have treasury maybe. But treasure chest. Mm. Storage place. Um, What the person produces out of that inner storehouse depends on what is in it. What you produce by way of attitude, action, words, mercy or otherwise, it comes out of what's in the treasury of the heart. And, you know, there's a process here. I'm, I'm assuming that. That what comes out normally isn't going to simply be what you put in last Wednesday, you know, just that one time. But something that's going on, storehouse, overflow, abundance, suggests something more than... More, that is, an ongoing, stored up over a period of time like a pattern. And we do that with, you know, as we receive his teaching. But again, it's a process. Last week we looked at that verse in uh, verse 18 of chapter 8 where it talks about being careful how you listen. Okay? Okay? being careful how you listen to God's Word, His teaching over a period of time, and, and of course, how you respond to that. See, that, that's storing up something in the treasury of our heart. And so what we take into our minds, what we experience in our relationships, what we do in response to what happens to us, how we respond to suffering, which can make us either better or bitter, depending on how we respond. What we choose to dwell on, process of the treasury being stored up, okay? Stored up in the treasury. And uh, how do we respond to people who wrong us? Spirit of grace or spirit of revenge? Every time I experience any and all of the above, it goes into that treasure chest. All becomes part of the mix in that storehouse and that in turn affects what I am becoming and sooner or later what is in there will spill out those experience. And so the question for all of us today is to simply ask what is going on? What is going in to the treasury of my heart? What am I putting in there through my experiences and through the way I respond to things? Thoughts of gratefulness. You know, we heard a lot of that this morning. Or thoughts of self pity. Accepting people as they are in their inevitable imperfections or a critical spirit. Forgiveness or resentment. Perverted pleasure or purity. The heart it produces, but it produces on the basis of what's gone into the treasury of the heart. Well, we take care of our heart. How do I take care of my heart? And many of us take care of our physical heart in different ways, exercising, cardiovascular exercise perhaps. I've been jogging and walking briskly, I think all of my adult life, it didn't keep me from needing a pacemaker though so I don't know but I'm still doing it and I know I'm better off because I'm doing it we, we want to take care of our hearts our diets, our exercise our checkups but how about that spiritual character heart it would seem that since I am responsible for my behavior which comes out of the treasury of my heart then uh, well I must have a responsibility there because we do hold people responsible for what they do. And that means I need to stop the blame game. Bad actions come from the heart, and the heart is me. Many of you are familiar with this uh, line from Julius Caesar. Uh, The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. We are underlings. We are responsible. I can't control how others treat me. I cannot control many of my circumstances. But the way I respond is my responsibility. Well, if I'm responsible for my heart, then I need to take care of it. But can I change my heart? That's a one of those questions, I think, that has both a yes and a no answer. And we often sing that song in the form of a prayer. Change my heart, O oh Lord. Make me more like you. And that's a confession that ultimately I can't really change my heart. I need you to do it. And yet there are choices I make that have an effect on my heart, even as I described about what we're putting into that treasury. Tunes. Helps to tune the heart. Proverbs 4.23, and here's a, here's a responsibility verse. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Seems like I have something to do with it. Jesus said, lay not up treasures on earth, but in heaven. And then this reason for where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. You know, is he saying there that you're going to lay it up? If your heart is there, then you're going to lay up treasure. That's not the way I read it. I think that's true. But I read it that if you invest there, then your heart will be there too. If I invest in you, pretty soon I start to care about you. If I minister to you, if I serve you, I start to care about you. Our heart follows our treasure or where our treasure. So that indicates that by choosing where I put my treasure, I am, I am leading and I am influencing the condition of my heart. David said in Psalm 119, he said, I incline my heart, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. And again, it sounds like something he took responsibility for. He chose the leaning of his heart. And so, yes, I can make choices that influence my heart for better or for worse. I I want to be careful to say that only God can ultimately change the heart. But the choices I make have an influence upon them. How then do I care for my heart? And I would say that all these things related to following the Lord, the teachings, responding, hearing God's word together and supporting one another, uh, what we call spiritual disciplines, prayer, uh, all of these things influence a way of taking care of the heart. One, one reason why we really need the fellowship of one another is a way of taking care of the heart. I just want to mention three things here. How to take care of my heart. Number one, I need to make sure that Christ has my heart. That's the starting point. Acknowledging that even though I am responsible, I simply am not capable of having a truly good heart without the Lord, so I surrender my heart to Him, making sure that I'm a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And that means giving allegiance to him, which in turn calls for denying self and carrying the cross. Luke 9:23: "Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me." Daily. Daily denying our — it's not about whether you have that extra cup of coffee or not. It's not about that. That's too easy, OK? Well maybe it's not so easy, okay, for me. But it's not really about that, but it's about denying selfishness and self centeredness, okay? I want to look out for number one, that's selfish. I want to be in charge, that's self centeredness. Denying that and looking outward and even sacrificing for the sake of others. That's living a cruciform life. And so do you suppose that over a period of time, if we do that daily, approach life that way, an outward focus because I'm denying self, I care about others? you suppose that would make a difference in what's in the treasury of our heart? <laughs> I think so. Well, that's the one thing. And then the second thing I want to say, and that's uh, something we read earlier from the preceding context. And, uh, and that, I'm thinking especially of that thing about taking the... Plank out of your own eye. It says in, in verse 37, he says, do not judge and you will not be judged. But then we come down to verse uh, 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the blank in your own eye? You know, that's powerful. If I really practice that, that's going to influence my heart. I mean, think of it. I'm already a follower of Christ, and although I have the Holy Spirit in my life, I know so well there are still sins and imperfections there, and out of that, I'm far more focused on my own needs than the things that might be obvious in someone else's life. I'm more or less oblivious to the faults of others. I see them, but my goodness, I have worse faults, I'm sure. <laughs> what a difference if that becomes my focus. Living with that awareness, yeah, the Lord is still working in me and he accepts me by grace, uh, but, uh, you know, instead of a critical spirit towards others, I'm looking at my own beam. Well, that's the, that's the focus going back. But you know what? That That makes a heart of humility, you know. And it makes for a heart that says I'm dependent upon his grace and therefore I freely give my grace, treat others with grace. Then I go ahead, go to the next one, going ahead, and that is the context that follows. And there we see he gives the parable of the wise man who built his house On the rock. And who is the wise person that does so? He says it's everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. Ongoing obedience to his teachings. Uh, You know, maybe that's the bottom line. Obedient to his words. We live in a culture, and we heard about it in Sunday school class this morning. We live in a feelings kind of a culture. Uh, and it's a culture that tends to assume that the heart is all about emotion and feeling. And I've shown you from scripture, no, it's the whole inner person. But if it feels right, it must be it must be okay, sort of thing. But the other part of that culture, okay? feelings, culture, and the other part of the culture. And I think that was also mentioned by Jim this morning. Nobody has a right to tell me what I have to do. I am the captain of my soul. I will do it, Frank Sinatra, I will do it my way. A culture that is feeling oriented, a culture that is anti- authority. And yet Jesus is saying that the one whose house is solid is the one who hears my words and puts them into practice. Being under in this anti-authority age, I yield my allegiance to Christ. I am under His authority. And so I live giving Him allegiance, try to obey even when it goes against the kinds of things I want and the things that I feel I want to do. Well, there's a connection in Scripture between obedience and the heart. Acts 13.22 God said about David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Okay. But what follows? He will obey. He will do everything I want him to do after my own heart a person with the right kind of heart he's a person who will obey my teachings okay and so how do I take care of my heart well I look at my own problem first rather than someone else's and I obey. In Psalm 86:11, David prays, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart. What a prayer. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Let's pray and then we want to sing a wonderful song about about the related to this lord we you've not only given us responsibility but you've given us grace and so father we gladly embrace that grace recognizing acknowledging expressing that we need your grace because there's a lot of things in our heart that you know we're not there yet but we want to make process And so thank you for offering us that grace. Father, we embrace it. And now, may we go from here really committed to being more Christ-like and to offering grace to those who are around us. And may we also go here alert to the new things that you want to teach us as we make progress in following Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.